Well, hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Cross Wires. It's James, and this week I have a wonderful guest. We've had people on the show looking at retro technology. We've had Dan talking about the Amiga. We had to let Reese come on the show to talk about Atari, otherwise he would have never shut up about it. And we now need to bring in the chief cave dweller, the man who has... <laughs> I can see Neil's literally laughing at my, my terrible jokes. Um, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Neil from RMC Retro. Hello, cave dwellers. You didn't tell me Reese had been on here. I might have I might have changed my mind if I knew he'd been on here. <laughs> Only the highest caliber guests, Neil. <laughs> oh, wait, hang on a second. Oh, yeah. No, I see what you mean. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, James. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. I I, I do just remember the conversation in, in your Discord, something along the lines, because I'd, you know, I'd said, oh, I'd love to have Neil on the show, but I'm a little nervous about asking Neil because, you know, you're you're this big YouTuber, you're this... Wait, maybe I'm, maybe rephrase that big YouTuber. You're you're a <laughs> successful YouTuber. There we go. I'm a full time uh, YouTuber. I mean, w- w- success depends on how you measure success, but um, yeah, I- I'm making a go of it. <laughs> so, which leads us on into sort of the, the the obligatory section of the show where I get my guests to to spill the beans on how they got started in YouTube and um, maybe a little bit of your backstory. Sure. Well, I've actually got open here um, my YouTube studio listed by oldest video first because I sometimes I need to remind myself. And uh, the oldest video was actually uploaded on January the 1st, 2012. But I haven't really been around for that long YouTubing per se. Uh, I, I started the YouTube channel and I registered the, the name of the channel back in 2012 because I had to sell off my retro collection. And uh, I was making videos partly to preserve the memory of the stuff because I was going to have to sell it. So the other part was I was going to list these things on eBay and I had to sell my collection and I just thought, well, a lot of what I had was in such pristine condition. The only way I can convey that is to take some video and link mm. that to the eBay listings. So that's what I did. And then I um, I forgot all about those videos, left them on YouTube. And it was in 2017 when I decided to hey, let's have a go at this being a YouTuber business and, and, and turn on the webcam and review some games and that sort of stuff. I started doing that and I realized, actually, um, you know, in those five years, I've I've accrued, you know, a few hundred followers, a few hundred subscribers. So that was kind of useful because when I started trying to do it proper, I had this um, instant subscriber base accidentally rather than just starting from square one. And, and that did help, I must admit. And I got some funny comments just saying, oh, you're, you're making videos now then, are you? <laughs> I forgot I forgot I subscribed to you five years ago. Um, and that's that's where it started. And the first video proper was a review. Uh, I've called it Game On. So I obviously had an idea that Game On was going to be the, the title of my review series. And then Combat Links on the Commodore 64, which is a, an old flight simulator. And uh, I had the intention of reviewing old flight simulators and trying to connect with people that were into retro like me, because I knew nobody IRL that was into retro. Um, I knew very few people that were even into computers and gaming where I was at the time in my life. So I was just trying to connect and I guess see if there was a community that I could be a part of. And in the process, yes, I've become part of many communities but also this RMC community has grown around what I've done, which is uh, probably one of my proudest achievements, to be honest, the community that's grown around the channel. Um, that's been a really nice side effect of doing all of this. 
So, yeah, to answer your question, I'm, I'm getting a bit long-winded here, but 2017 decided to make YouTube videos to try and connect with like-minded people. Seemed safer than online dating. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine an online retro dating scene. <laughs> I, I, I like five-pin DINs and nine-pin nine pin DB. DB. <laughs> oh, swipe right. <laughs> <laughs> and I can echo... You know, I, I'm part of your community. I'm in your Discord. Um, uh, you know, for disclosure, I am a patron of Neil's. Um, uh, I haven't paid him any extra to come on the show. <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Um, and it is just a wonderful community. You know, I've made some genuine friendships through that Discord server. And in fact, uh, and sorry, Neil, I have to be honest and say, I've probably got quite a few of my guests from people saying, oh, I'd like to come on your show. Um, yeah. Which is fantastic. And, you know, we we don't do similar content my youtube content is definitely not retro focused but i think it's fair to say that a lot of youtubers like yourself have inspired me there's definitely as you can see in my background well neil can see you guys can't but in my videos you'll see there's definitely a little inspiration i see you've got the coloring book of retro computers there behind you next to a dalek and um a stapler is there something sentimental about your red stapler if they take my stapler I'll I'll burn the building down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You're gonna have to re remind me. I know where this reference is from. Remind Office me. Space. Office yeah. Space. Office. Such a good film. There um, it is. It's it's a very and it's again that film's got a little bit of a retro because there's the old somehow they blended macOS and MS DOS into one operating system <laughs> on the simulated screens. It was yeah something quite special. Um, I do, uh, yeah, no spoilers, but I do, I do like the conclusion to that, how it ends. The, mm. uh, karma comes through, yeah. Yes, very good <laughs> film. Highly recommend it. So, obviously, you know, you've been, so let's say 20, so it's nearly, you know, nearly five years since you've been mm. doing this seriously. And I think it's fair to say things have grown quite dramatically in that time. Yeah, um, I guess we've had momentum behind us. The first, big kind of surge where where the channel took off was with um a series that a lot of people say they've watched when they talk to me which was the amiga 500 trash to treasure series which was where i kind of moved on from trying to review games to tinkering with hardware to trying to get the collection of retro back together again that i had had to sell in those earlier years on a shoestring budget Mm. So that meant buying kit that was slightly broken or completely broken and trying to fix it up. And I thought I'd document the process of fixing them up. And uh, I released those videos under the banner of Trash to Treasure. And um, people seemed to like that. And I think the Amiga one did so well because it was so personal to me. It was such an important computer to me. It was the second computer I had after the Amstrad CPC. And I hadn't really, I guess I hadn't revisited the Amiga for some years and um, I was just exploding with nostalgia for the system when I made that video. <laughs> every part of me was just like every shot that I lined the camera up for, even before I pressed record, I just sort of stand back and go, oh, that, that Amiga looks so good at that angle. I'm just going to have to look at this for a minute. You know, I was so into that video. And I think that kind of passion and, and love for what I was doing shone through and was kind of infectious because a lot of people really liked that that series. So we, we suddenly got a, a surge of about 10,000 subscribers off the back of that video. Um, it was a huge, huge uh, bump for the channel and momentum followed through from there. So that was, yeah, that was the rocket, um, the rockets that were strapped to the side of the channel and sent us on our way. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And that was a great series. You know, I think I, I, be, I generally think that was the first sort of series of videos of yours I watched because I seem to remember searching on YouTube for Amiga 500 because I'd seen one in one of our local retro shops here in um, here in Bournemouth. Um, but I saw one. I thought, well, you know, could I get hold of this? What could I do? You know, if I if I did buy it, I decided not to in the end. Unfortunately, how, can you remember how much it was in there? This is a thing that's kicking me. It was only fifty pounds. Fifty pounds. That was a good price. Yeah, and I should have bought it, but I I didn't. Um, I think it it was not in a great state, and I think it was only a five hundred rather than because I, I had in my mindset that I wanted something AGA. I wanted okay. a twelve hundred. Because that's what I think. In fact, was in one of my submissions to the to the cave videos was I lusted after a twelve hundred. I had mm-hmm. a six hundred growing up, as we talked about with with Dan Wood. But you know, I was thinking a twelve hundred. But I looked at twelve hundred prices, like no, and I don't have that skill set to go in and, and carefully replace chips. It's just not something I can do. So fair credit to to yourself because there, it is fairly intricate going into those systems you've got to be incredibly careful yeah um i mean i don't claim to be uh you know a superior uh, electronics expert in any way whatsoever i'm a brake fixer and i'll always maintain that um and that's why i try and surround myself with uh brilliant people um in that respect to help me with certain systems like mark fixes stuff like richard who um owns an electronics firm in the floor below me in the cave so you know if i really get stuck i can go hey guys you know can i have your collective experience and millions of pounds worth of, of tools to take a look at this please i'm very fortunate in that respect now but uh you know i do what i can and and i learn um along the way and yes it was less painful i guess to learn when you could pick up an amiga for 20 quid or for 10 pound yeah. Um, as the prices come up, you know the consequences of screwing it up become far more costly, and we don't all have a budget to to um, take those hits. So, um, yeah, I don't blame you. Uh, but the longer we wait, the more those prices yeah. go up, don't they? This yeah. is true. This I mean, the Amiga Five Hundred that was in the Trash to Treasure series in twenty seventeen or twenty eighteen, it was a bargain then, but it was um, it was twenty pounds. Wow. Uh, on a classified app that I found it on, and it included a Philips monitor, so it was just ludicrous. And then anyone who watched the series will have seen I got it home and realised it was the Chicken Lips version. So it was one of the very early five hundreds with a mechanical keyboard, which they they stopped doing very quickly. Unfortunately, that keyboard didn't work, but I've still got it stripped and and um, bagged up here for hopefully to get it working one day, or to at the very least you know give the keycaps to someone who needs it who does have a mechanical keyboard or whatever that that's not going in the bin for sure but yeah 20 pounds just an absolute bargain and you you found some great systems when I mean, your most your most one of your most recent trash to trevor trash to trevor trash to trevor oh <laughs> no, that's a series that needs to happen there we go <laughs> everything must be turned into a tortoise <laughs> yes we should we should clarify of course for those who don't know neil's channel first of all go and check out neil's channel that's the whole point of neil being here but trevor is a now who was it who was it who made that awful thing um yeah, it was um was it quick shot let me have a look cheetah sorry cheetah cheetah joystick so it's a cheetah joystick um a novelty joystick in the shape of a tortoise that you rest your hand on a bit like a mouse you'd rest your hand on top of it but it's a joystick that you roll and rock and roll around digital it's not analog 
and it just gives you instant RSI. But Trevor's kind of become a bit of a mascot for the channel. Um, he hasn't appeared lately. We should get him into a video. I think people would like to see him again. Every now and then we get Trevor, and every now and then we get um, uh, a book with Alan Sugar's face on it that appears, and a very bad impression of Alan Sugar happens. <laughs> I would love one day, I have to say, Neil, love to see Lord Sugar turn up at the cave. Well, here's the thing. Um, last year, just completely out of the blue and unprompted, um lord sugar tweeted one of my videos out it wasn't even a retweet he'd obviously just been on youtube gone oh i like the look of this video talking about me and my old computers and he tweeted it out and i was like wow i was stunned um, I if he so knew. of course so of course i said hey come, can you come yeah. to the cave can we interview you but no no response there sadly maybe sure. one day and he has been making noises recently about starting his own Amstrad museum, but um, I don't know how much he's really interested in the old computers. You know, it'd have to he's be a very a, wide museum, a very wide museum for, <laughs> for, for the CPCs. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but yeah, he's a salesman for first and foremost, isn't he? I'm not sure how much he's really interested in those old machines. Well, it's the same with Steve Jobs um, when he was still with us. Steve was not interested in anything from mm-hmm. a past you wanted to just move forward and you, you can understand that so i mean speaking of museums that brings us on nicely to kind of the most i guess the most recent development because you were filming it in a I, I, were you in a bait was it like a basement office or so those original ebay videos were my house basement a very damp and dingy house basement um and then when i started doing youtube uh i was doing it in my spare room so i had a two-bedroom flat i can tell you a f- Two fun facts about that flat. So when I started YouTubing, two things that you probably don't know are uh, that flat had rats in the walls. So I could hear them scurrying around at night and I had to set traps to try and get them. And they were big, big rats too. Um, And the other thing was there was a hairdresser's on the floor above me. And this hairdresser, um, it was a, a male barber shop and he loved playing Justin Bieber all day and Drake just just over and over again so there were times when i couldn't film because that music was booming through the ceiling and um yeah these these are the struggles of youtubing that you don't hear about (laughs) so we had that and that's where we did the amiga video and we started to get some momentum and off the back of that i then rented a basement office uh, which was just a, a few minutes walk away from the flat where i lived uh so that was really nice walked past a coffee shop and a bakery in the morning and um started doing youtube that's that's where i became a full-time youtuber and then we find ourselves now so cave 4.0 as we call it in this beautiful 18th century mill in the middle of the cotswolds which is uh declared uh yeah it is officially an area of outstanding natural beauty here in the uk i can't afford to live there of course i live in swindon so i've got a 30 minute commute to get into that beautiful part of the country <laughs> and, uh, but you know i love that commute and i love coming down the hill and seeing our current location which is this gorgeous mill and we've got the top floor there and that's where we set up um reset up the youtube studio but also set up the exhibition space slash museum where we've now opened up to the public so people can come and visit and see all of the machines that were restored and get hands-on with them and all the other good stuff that we've built there yeah it's been incredible because you did a whole series of you know starting to build the cave after because i think you correct me if i'm wrong the coloring book and getting people signed up to patreon was in order to be able to launch that space well um patreon happened before that and patreon was what enabled me to go full time there was no intention at that point to say i'm going to build a museum when when that happened and the coloring book 
yeah the coloring book was when we formulated this idea of building a museum and we said okay it's not cheap to build a museum and we could do it on the budget monthly budget that we've got but it's going to take years to get there to get it done properly and the sooner we can get it open and selling tickets you know the sooner we can pay down what it's costing us to build this so um we we concocted this idea to create a coloring book of retro computers i couldn't tell you where the idea came from it was just one of those crazy ideas one night and we got talking to Stu cambridge who was the former artist for sensible software who i'd worked with on a um, a book that I'd written before called uh, Retro Tea Breaks, which mm-hmm. was a book of interviews with um, old game devs. So um, I spoke to Stu and uh, said, would you be interested in doing a colouring book? And he absolutely threw himself at the idea because he's so pigeonholed sometimes into being a pixel artist. He really mm. wanted to say, look, everyone, I'm an artist artist. I'm not just a pixel artist. So here's a chance for me to really show off my skills. And he did. He did a fabulous job on this colouring book. Um lovely uh perspectives on all of the um, the machines the machines are all open so you, you know you get the look of the outside and you can also see all the capacitors and all the bits and bobs inside the machines and um that managed to raise uh on kickstarter i think it was forty thousand pounds it raised a huge amount of money um which i'm really really thankful for and i do know that you know, everyone that bought that book, they weren't buying a coloring book. They were giving to help build the museum. And the coloring book was something for me to to give back because I don't like just saying, hey, everyone, give us some money. I want to build a computer museum. You know, you've got to give some value to people. And so to create this lovely coloring book was a nice thing. And people, now that they've got the coloring book, they do seem to really value it because um, one of the tiers was called Coloring in the Cave, where the top tier backers can come to the cave for a special day. And at the last one that we had, I asked the audience at the end of Stu Cambridge's talk, because he does a little talk, I said, how many of you have actually coloured in the colouring book? Not a single hand went up. And I said, why? And they all said, we don't want to ruin it. (laughs) It's such a nice book. We don't want to ruin it. (laughs) So I think that's testament to the the quality of Stu's work. Oh, absolutely. Um, And we had, you know, Stu was, Stu, I think actually, you know, I'll give Neil some credit. Neil's community and the fact that, you know, obviously you were working with Stu and I took a little bit of a cheeky sort of, hey, I'll tweet Stu and see if he'd be interested in coming on the show. Yeah. And he was. So Stu was actually our first ever guest uh, on this podcast. And, you know, I have to admit that was a really fun chat, and I did have to apologise to Stu for killing him many times. Oh yes, yeah, everyone has to do that. Yeah, yeah. it's <laughs> just a ritual you have to go through with Stu. I'm so sorry for killing you, <laughs> Stu. And, but you're right, the colouring book is beautiful, and um, although I don't think you can see them in the shop, they are in the YouTube videos. Um, I backed the team with the little postcards. Which oh, are, nice! So you got the coloured in postcards. Really. Yeah, Lovely. and they're actually you know part of set dressing for when I'm filming. They're up on nice little pegs. Mm-hmm. Um, along with an old Dell Mini 9 notebook motherboard that I ripped out. Just to, you know, <laughs> sad set, set dressing, really. So, now I have to say to everyone, I haven't yet been to the cave um, just because of logistics, but I've seen it in videos and, you know, seeing it come together from little things like the the way you've built the desks for the machines, the tables in the middle with the... You know, but they were cable reels yes. that we took the ends off and sanded down, and we 3D printed a little R logo to go in the middle and stained it. Yeah, yeah, a lot of love gone in, a lot of thought gone into everything. Yeah. It does look fantastic. How long have you been open to the public now for? Neil? A couple of months now, so it does still feel 
pretty new and fresh. And uh, so far, we've been open on Saturdays where we do uh, two sessions. We do a morning and an afternoon session. So we find three hours for a quick session people seem to like. Um, and then we've also got some days where it's a, a full day session. So we, we encourage people to pace themselves a little bit more, uh, but they still do seem to stick around for a full day. Mm. And then we've also had some private sessions like the patron days and the coloring in the cave days. So at the moment, it's just weekends. We do next Friday have our first um, coffee morning and then uh, we're going to have Friday evening you know, like hardcore gaming sessions, all about the high scores. We're expecting perhaps a bit more of a console crowd to come to that sort of thing. Mm. Um, so we're going to try lots of things like that, and we're just going to see what sticks. Um, we've also got our first guest speaker booked. So that will go up um, available soon. And that's Mike Daly of DMA Design and Lemmings and Grand Theft Auto fame. So uh, he's going to come and people will have a chance to see a Q&A with him. Um and, I do uh, have an important question, Neil. Are you it. going to let Mark into that event, giving his views on Lemming? <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll have to lock the doors, not let Mark fix his stuff in there. And and uh, I I think Mike um, himself has a strict rule that nobody's allowed to dress as a Lemming. You've <laughs> <laughs> really had enough good. of that. So we're we're still, you know. We're still figuring it out. You know, how do you run this exhibition? How do you give people um, what they want? And the way I see it, I'm not running an exhibition. I'm not running a museum. I'm running a a, um, a visitor attraction, a visit, a guest experience. And the mm. most important thing to me is how people feel when they go away. Uh, have they come into the cave? Have they been able to switch off to the world and everything that's going on and just get lost in? a few hours of nostalgia and joy and happiness and speak to like-minded people and um, pull some magazines out in the library and look at the covers. I, I, this is one of my favorite things to do. Look at the magazines and it, I just find the covers so evocative because they take me straight back to where I was when I bought that magazine. I can remember the exact shop for every issue, you know, what bike I rode there on, who I was with. It's funny how these memories stick. And I just want, I just want people to walk away from the cave from their day there and, and just feel really good about it. Tell people how good they felt, want to come back. So um, that that's what I'm trying to achieve through all the hard work in the way the tables look, the desks look, making sure, you know, we we made a big thing about getting air conditioning in there because we really wanted it to be cool and fresh mm. and, and not, you know a smelly nerd club we wanted it to be really nice and inviting you know if people want to bring partners along who are or, or kids who perhaps aren't as interested in the hobby as them they can still have a nice cup of coffee and enjoy everything that's in there you know and there is a lot to enjoy because you have a lot of original systems out um you know things you know like you've got the amiga 600 personal favorite of mine you've got just such a range you've got a cpc you've got Currently, for me, you've got a BBC Micro. Got a BBC Micro. We've got some various PCs. Um, we've got the Sharp X68000 out there for people to play on. PC Engine, Master System, Amstrad Mega PC. We try and have a good mixture of the rare and the familiar. I tend to find what people want to play on is the thing, the good things that they remember that mm. they had, the rare things, and the really awful things. Uh, there's no room really for that kind of an average system. Nobody's really interested in an average system. They want to see 
just how bad was the Amstrad GX4000? I want to see that. I want to go on that. Just how great was the Sharp X68000 that I've never had a chance to have a go on? And now I'm going to go and have a go on the ZX Spectrum because I'm so familiar with that. I want to go back into my own memories. That's kind of where it sits for people. Um, so, yeah, you've got to think very carefully about what to put out there. And you've got, you obviously have a decent stock, so you cannot, I mean, it's a plan to alternate the systems every now yeah, and then. Yeah, I've got to keep it fresh so that people have new experiences when they come back. There will always be the, the things that people expect. People are always going to expect to see a Commodore 64 there and a ZX Spectrum and a, um, a PlayStation and things like that. So there'll be the, the, the consistent ones. We have got this little bit of space at one end of the cave where we've got an R spray painted on the door and that's closed at the moment. And um, what I'm trying to do is get that cleared out so I can turn that into a kind of uh, rotating temporary exhibition space. So we could have all the hands-on stuff and then for six months you might come and there'll be a semi-permanent Commodore or Amiga Mm. exhibition in that room and you can go and see every single Amiga that was ever released or you know, light gun games or, or whatever the theme is for that period. So that would be a nice thing to keep it fresh, I think. You've got to give people reason to come back, yeah. And and you've certainly made a lot of use of the space because not only do you have the systems, you also have, obviously, your studio space. And I think, um, correct me if I'm wrong, in that studio space, you do display the current Trash to Treasure project. Yep, 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 yep. You can come, when you come on an open day, whatever I've been working on, I try to put out there, because it's nice to make that connection between what you've just been watching and and then seeing the thing in front of you. Yeah. And I really try to emphasize the hands-on point of this you know, museum because we're trying to preserve the experience as much as we are the systems. Yeah. You know, and, and you've got to use the real hardware to try and get that, that authentic experience. Very determined to use CRTs and not flat screens. It's inevitable that the day will come when we have to move on. But for now, we're trying to preserve that experience with CRTs. Um, yeah. You've got Rob from, is it Retro Rescue? Resurrection. Retro, yeah. Retro Resurrection is doing a lot of CRT repairs for you. Yeah, Rob's a lovely, lovely guy. And um, he comes down and he, he's so talented. He can, he can recap any of, of my TVs, you know, in less than an hour. But he'll make a good job of stretching that out through the entire day. So he can talk to people, he can show people what they're do- what he's doing, and they ask everyone, everyone's got questions about CRTs, especially about ha- safety. How safe is it to open this up? Should I even risk opening this? You know, what can I touch? What can't I? Mm. He's got he's got all the answers to that. He's, he's a great guy. And um, invariably, at the end of a, a day, I've got a fully serviced, recapped, recalibrated CRT that's looking great. And he'll take another one on and fix it back at home um, for his own channel and then bring that back. And he's a great guy. Yeah. And these are the kind of people that have really helped the channel to get to that next step, to be able to be here. And, and I, you know, thank God for the Robs and the Mark fixes stuffs and the Richards of the world. Uh, who are so giving with their time. Yeah. Because, you know, aside from obviously Mark fixing stuff, you do have him locked in the cupboard in possibly, <laughs> but, but I have to admit the bit of the cave that I'm most excited to see. From seeing the video, it really does take me back to. I think I think you said particularly the inference was W. H. Smith. In- oh yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. The fake retro shop that we built. So, yeah, um, it's funny. A lot of people look forward to seeing that, and I'll often say to people, "Have you been in the fake retro shop?" And they'll go, "Not yet. I'm saving myself for that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm going to play some systems, and then I'm going to 
compose myself and I'm going to walk in and I'm going to enjoy that. And it's so lovely to see people do that because it takes them back. It really does. So one thing I can't get across in the videos about the fake retro shop is um, is the smell of it because it's got all of these big box games in there. It's got warm electronics in the CRTs and the kiosk. And you go in there and it just smells like a WH Smith's or a John Menzies. You know, it, it, I can't get that across in the videos. And I love it so much that I shut the door every day. I, I just like, keep the smell in that. I've got to keep it smelling like that. That's, that's part of the authenticity. Uh, yeah, but yeah, people love that. So is it's, that the next merch, um, Neil? Um, the smell. Retro video game shop smells in a bottle. Oh, oh. Oh, older retro. <laughs> yes. Love it. Love it. And of course, you know, look, we should say Neil got, Neil and, because I think uh, Chrissy helped you with this, but you and Chrissy got featured in Raspberry Pi magazine. Yeah, and I'm really thankful for that. Just last weekend, somebody said that's how they discovered the, the, the cave. They didn't know anything about the YouTube channel. They read about it in the magazine and they came and visited. Wow. And um, yeah, what James is referring to there is the barcode scanner, which is in the shop. So we've got a kiosk built into a lovely brown wool that looks like WH Smith's. And there's a CRT sunk into the wall. And then a couple of controllers that come out, just like when you used to go in an old shop and you could play on the latest games um, on a on a demo kiosk. Yep. But we've got a, a handheld barcode scanner there. So the idea is that the shop is the front end. So you take you pick up a game, you walk over to the kiosk and you go beep with the barcode scanner and the game appears on the screen and you can play it. And um, it was just a, a silly idea that was this could be fun to do. And Chrissy had the skills to knock that up. And he did a wonderful job of it. He's put it all on GitHub for anyone who's interested in, in doing it themselves. And so as soon as, I guess, the first barcode scan that I did on it, the first time I used it, suddenly it clicked and I was like, wow, th this is this is huge because this makes you step away from having that endless list of ROMs on a mm. screen where either you can't decide what to play or you just play something for five seconds and you go, okay, I'm going to play something else now because it's so easy to switch. It forces you to turn around, walk, even though it's only three steps away to the wall, look at a game, take a game off the wall, maybe read the back of it and go, do I want to play this? Yeah, okay. And then walk back and scan it. And just that small amount of effort makes you invest more time in playing the game even if it's a bad game well i've walked over there now you know i've got to i've got to put it, yeah. effort into into playing it before i go back and change it and um it just takes you back to a way of playing games that is how i remember it you know i love emulation in all its forms but it does make it too easy to skim gameplay you know especially if you are one of those naughty people who happen to have a raspberry pi running retro pi full of games that um there might be questions about the legality of those ROMs, and we'll leave it at that. <laughs> hey, when you've got a fake video game shop, I'm sure I can find a legal copy of it somewhere. Oh, yes. Somewhere there on the shelves. Absolutely. <laughs> but if you're using the barcode scanner, you can only play the games that you actually That have. is true. So, it's true. Know, and of course, that system, correct me if I'm wrong, is running on another sort of project over the last couple of years. <laughs> I mean, you've been a busy guy, Neil, it's fair to say. <laughs> yeah, I've been busy. So, yeah, you're referring to the Mr. Multisystem. So there's this wonderful um, project called the Mr., which lots of people will have heard of, which is a FPGA-based um, way of playing your old games. And uh, we made what's called the Multisystem, which is an all-in-one board 
that um, takes the Mister Project and and puts it into a consoleized form factor, combined it with a really nice console three D printed case, and it just sort of makes the point of entry into getting into that project a little bit more familiar by making it a console and not a, a big stack of mm. PCBs, and um, a little nicer to look at, and adds things like um, a SCART output as standard so that we can use it with our old CRTs without any dongles or, you know, adapters or anything. Uh, yeah, and that's a project that we did in collaboration with Heber, the the company that owned the building. And um, it's still early days. We've only just um, come to the end of shipping our second batch. So we're getting up to a user base of about a 1,000 people using that now. And then we've got batch three coming soon, which will be in stock and not a pre-order process so hopefully have that in three to four weeks time that'll be listed up on the shop and we can continue to build on that and that's um i guess that's another sub community within rmc that's growing now you've got the rmc community and now you've got the multi-system community growing and within the rmc community it's so nice to see the multi-system owners all helping each other with their builds and their configurations and things this this self-help room has now grown and it's just testament to how nice people are in the community. And and yeah, and I you know, I don't own a, a multi system. I it is, you know, on my list of things to um it, it it's definitely on my birthday list. I just don't know which <laughs> how many birthdays I'll have to you know, because now I'm getting older, I don't strangely, I don't get quite as much for my birthday as I used to do, you know. Oh no, shocking. You know. <laughs> it's a big one next year, so um we'll we'll see what um thirty, is it? forty. <laughs> thanks thanks neil thanks. um yeah it'll, it'll be good and you know that community is fantastic because you you and richard just re- um put out a a video where, where you've got some more sort of expansion modules things like be able to support the, the really cool um is it the mt uh, mt32 pi whichever way around the mm-hmm, that's right yeah which is a you know basically a way to have a good old-fashioned roland mt32 in a Pi form factor that plugs into the multi-system. Yeah, so um, expansion on the multi-system was something we thought about from the beginning. Uh, just like trying to make the multi-system accessible, we wanted to make expansion nice and easy. And what's more familiar and accessible than a cartridge? Everyone knows how a cartridge works. You pick it up, you slot it in the slot, and it, it should just work. So um, we've got a cartridge um, slot on the multi-system, and our first cartridge is a Pi cartridge. So... Yes, uh, I imagine the most popular use of it will be the Pi MT32 project, um, which works wonderfully with things like the um, the PC core, so you can fire mm-hmm. up Monkey Island and hear the MT32 playing uh, beautifully. But it's it's just a Pi, so I can also run my barcode scanner project on it, um, and anything else that you can think of that you can do with a Pi, you can run off of it as well. And so I assume that's the, nice. the Pi is powered by the multi-system so you don't have a separate power brick that's right yeah nothing needs to be plugged into it It just goes straight in that powers it up um and it works and it will route the mt32 audio back through and out the usual you know audio channel so you don't need to plug any any extra wires into that but you do have access to the ports if you want to you could plug um hey if you really want to you could plug an eight mini hdmi cable into it to get a display off of it and a joypad and you could run you know, retro pie <laughs> off of it <laughs> via Mr. If you really want to. If you see. really, yeah. Um, another nice thing that I'd like to do with it in future is we've got the barcode scanner, but what if you scanned a game 
and then the Pi on its own display on a on a separate display put out a marquee or instructions for the game nice. or a review or something like that you know you could you could tie all that together um so there's, there's options and then we've also made a cartridge called the super video custard which gives um s video and composite out which is something that people on the uh, american side of the uh, the atlantic keep asking for seems that's what they're nostalgic for s video and composite that's what they grew up with yeah. so can't argue with that. So if they want that, there's an option for that too. Because that was one of, and and here we go again. Sort of a reach of of RMC and Heber has been the Mister Multi System was featured on Linus Tech Tips. Oh yeah, and, and LGR as LGR. well. Yeah. Oh, you see, LGR yeah. doesn't surprise me as much because I, you know, I sort of feel there's this affinity between you, you know yourself, LGR, the eight bit guy. Um, and maybe to an extent, Techmoan. I feel that Techmoan sort of takes all the retro audio stuff <laughs> and just deals with that stuff so that no one else has to. Uh, yeah, well, we've done a little collaboration with him in the past and he's always uh, been very kind with his time um, as Matt at Techmoan. So, yeah, he's 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 certainly, uh, I would say, king of the uh, the UK retro community in that respect or the audio retro mm. community. Yeah, I need to get in touch with him because, again, you know, some of his stuff I've been helping a friend sort of do a house clearance and the amount of retro audio stuff that her late father had is incredible um mm. so I, I should reach out to matt and see if there's anything that's you know of particular rarity because there could well be you know his equivalent of a trash to treasure uh going through there but well you say that i mean i watched a video of his recently i was watching some of his older videos and um i watched the whole thing it must have been about 45 minutes to an hour long it was just him unwrapping mini discs yes Yes. That's all it was. Yes. Just <laughs> three parcels of mini discs. And I got to the end of it and I was like, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, wh- why am I putting all this effort into restoring and scrubbing and, and, you know, making systems look like new? I could just be buying cassette tapes and opening them. Because, <laughs> of course, you do but... still get donations into the cave. And you do, well, yeah. you know, you do a, a good... Your unboxings are always quite fun because, you, you know, you tell a little... Similar again, you know, yours and LGR's unboxings feel very much like you can see the excitement. Yeah, when yeah, you get something yeah. out of a box, and uh, oh, I do, yeah. And actually, since we've had the public come into the cave now, um, people turn up unexpectedly with donations. Wow, we've had some amazing stuff because when people uh, bring a donation on a visit, um, I guess it more often than not, it's something that they don't really want to put in the post. So yeah. it's something a bit more fragile or a bit more personal to them. Um, and we've had, um, well, a couple of weeks back, we had someone turn up with a ZX80, which we don't have in the cave. So it's so nice to add that to the collection. We've got the ZX81, mm. but not the 80. So we can, you know, put that in the cabinet as something to display as well. Um, yeah. Which one, which yeah. one was the one that, um, there's one of the ZX, which got made him a butt of a joke in a Red Dwarf episode. I think it was a, it's crashed more times than the ZX81, referring to Starbucks. <laughs> um, nice. I mean, I've still got, Neil, somewhere at my parents' place, my old game gear. I've lost the battery covers to it. The screen, the, the outer screen is scratched to all heck. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, as with true game gear, the screen is now almost unusable. I am so tempted to take the plunge and just say, okay, shall I get the kit and do yeah. the upgrade because i've still got the games i actually do have some game gear games up there as well yeah um i've I, two the two sort of greatest upgrades you can do on retro kit are 
um, the SD card loaders mm. just because nobody's really that nostalgic for waiting 10 minutes for a cassette tape to load. You do it once every now and then, but, you know, it's lovely to have that instant load time. Um, and um, the other is, yeah, screen upgrades on handheld. So I did the McWill mod on the Atari Lynx, and it's it just makes it a whole different system. You know, it reduces how much battery it uses. It gives you a screen you can actually see. <laughs> Which and that so, was yeah. a big distinction, and that's why I have to be honest. That's why I chose a Game Gear back in the day because it was something I could see. Um, of course, it didn't have that same collection of games that the Game Boy did, and um, mm. but it is fascinating. And I, lo- you know, although I don't own any retro tech, I do have a Pi running Retro Pi, and I love going back and playing some games. I have to admit, I have not yet quite figured out how to set up a proper. Amiga environment on my Pi because it's not easy. It's tricky, and a lot of us who had Amigas back in the day, we had an Amiga and a floppy disk drive, and that we were happy with that. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the world of setting up hard drives on Amiga is is unfamiliar to many people who even had an Amiga back in the day. Absolutely, so it takes a little bit of figuring out. Yeah, yeah, because the six hundred had a hard drive, it had an IDE slot, but I never had a hard drive in it because back then hard drives cost almost as much as the actual system, if not more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, as we sort of look for so first of all, people can book to come and visit the cave. Um, I know you're opening up more yeah. dates. That's right, yeah. Go to rmcretro.com and click on the big button that says visit the cave. And you'll also see, uh, I mean, you can go onto the YouTube channel, but if you go to the website, you can see neatly listed the 10 build videos. So you can have a look at the, the whole process of building the cave from start to finish, which is quite nice as well. So, Neil, before we uh, before we wrap things up, I do have one sort of question for you which is if you were to think back about all the retro um repairs and bringing things back to life and just general maintenance that you probably had to do can you think of maybe the, the worst repair as in for one moment made you think i'm really glad i'm wearing gloves right now <laughs> i guess the one where the term finger gravy was first coined was probably the acorn electron uh, that was just really quite grubby and there was this brown gravy type substance all over the keys and that's probably when the black gloves first came out so yeah I'll, I'll go with that one <laughs> I think that's a good one we'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes to the Acorn Electron episode and that's the thing you are you are definitely um, uh, machine agnostic I think is the right for it you don't you don't seem to mind restoring anything well, I think people know, you know, I have a love of Amigas and um, and Amstrads and things like that. But there's a lot of lessons to be learned in, in systems that you're unfamiliar with, especially the really uh, the bizarre ones that were, for example, never launched outside of Japan and things like that. I find it so fascinating to research them. And invariably, in researching these systems, you then start to find the crossover with the systems you are familiar with. And you go, oh, right, so this is this such and such a system is essentially an Amiga 1200 with some other custom chips. It's, you know, you you start to make these connections and you see how um, different and how similar retro systems were and how close systems were to being awesome or you know what let them down just by some weird uh, cost cutting exercise that they happen to do um, on a particular system so i find it fascinating pulling them apart and finding out about them and researching their history and seeing where all that crossover is um it's a it's an interesting world to be a part of and is it fair to say that that's what kind of makes retro interesting is that in today's world of computing it's 
you know, look, we have AMD, we have Intel, we have Apple's M1 series chips. But ultimately, we're all pretty much the same. One graphics card, okay, it might perform a little bit better and it might cost you thousands of pounds more. But at the very basic level, they are just the same. Whereas when we go back to things like the Spectrum and the Acorn and the BBC Micro, there's such differences in those platforms and there was such a rivalry between owners. You know, Specky owners hated CP, uh, hated, well, probably <laughs> did hate CPC owners, but there was that Commodore versus Spectrum argument, certainly Amiga versus Atari. Do you think retro is m- maybe more interesting because of those differences? Well, yeah, hate, hate is a strong word. A lot, a lot was said in jest on the playground, but uh, I don't think we went too far into hate too often. But yeah, Wait, we were hang used on to so, trash talk. So you're telling me that you, your school didn't have a massive murder problem with Atari? Oh. Well, you know, the specky owners would take the mickey out of me as an Amstrad owner and, and whatnot. But, you know, it was all interest. Oh. It was all good fun. But, um, uh, yeah, it's very easy to put the rose-tinted glasses on, isn't it? Because, yes, we're nostalgic for those days. And being part of that, I guess it was almost like supporting a football team. Mm. We were part of that tribe. We were part of the uh, that owner's club. But, actually, what we were reading week in, week out in our magazines was we're a step closer to standardizing and being compatible across the board. And that's what everyone wants because it will make for cheaper, more accessible, better computing if everything just worked on everything. And of course, that's that's the direction we pretty much went in eventually. So that is what we were striving for. And that is the future that we expected. But now that we're in that future... <laughs> it is nice to look back and go oh, i kind of liked being part of the amstrad tribe and being able to trash talk the spectrum tribe when i on the rare occasion i had a game that was better than them <laughs> well folks please do uh, go and check out neil's uh, youtube channel um neil where can people find you where can people go and check out uh, youtube and all the um, the rmc retro site everywhere like that so rmcretro.com will take you to a website where you can find most things or Pretty much any social media platform or YouTube, just put a forward slash RMC Retro on the end, and you will find my smiley, my my smiley, bald, bearded face, waiting to talk retro to you. Neil, it has been an absolute pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for your insights and for sharing some of your story and um, getting hopefully getting people excited about the cave. If you've got any retro stories that you want to share, maybe some nostalgia about old systems, please do leave a comment in the podcast episode. Um, you can find all the show notes at crosswires.net. You can find our YouTube channel, which honestly, there is a video coming at crosswires.net forward slash YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at crosswiresmg, and you can email podcast at crosswires.net. Until the next episode, thank you for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.